Hey, you're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network, produced at 3CR Community Radio on Wurundjeri Country. And I'm Nikki Stott. This week on the show, part two of a two-part series, Envisioning Radical Futures with Young Intersectional Climate Feminists. And this audio was sourced with thanks from a Climate Week 2020 webinar by the global advocacy organisation We Do at wedo.org. We're all working towards dismantling the intersections of all of the systems of oppression. And we were all led to this work for different reasons, through different entry points, working towards similar worlds, like alternative worlds, something different. What does a radical feminist future look like, feel like for you? So not just getting at the structural aspect of it, Um, the systemic aspect of it, but also like what would this world feel like living in it every day and also the structural. And I'll pass it on to Maria Alejandra to start us off. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love this question. I think the fact that we can imagine radical futures is already a huge richness that we have. The fact that our imaginations haven't been stopped, corrupted, (laughs) is already, I think, a huge feminist contribution to the world. I imagine a a radical future where we obviously avoid the climate catastrophe, where we have the chance to see that we could, like, we were able to stop it, that we, we had the means, that we had the will, that there was enough power being worked together to avoid the climate catastrophe. I imagine a radical future where the political and economical structures are not serving the few, but the many, and are not based in a capitalist way, extractive, profit-driven world. I am not sure how to call that, (laughs) but I think it's very important to imagine a world that exists beyond what we understand as capitalism and what we have understood that is needed to run the world, to fuel the world, basically. And obviously, I think that is a world of fossil-free, where we have understood that energy sovereignty can come into so many other ways, into so many other symbiotic ways with the world. And I like to imagine a world where we are stepping away from this colonial, rational way of putting everything into binaries, into women, men, into nature, society, into all these dichotomies, which I think leave very little room for imagination to bloom. I want to step away from monocrops, in general, from all types of, of, of systems that want to streamline, that want to, by efficiency or by, again, profit, want to destroy diversity. And, and I mean that also in terms of the gender diversity that exists within our many societies and that have been erased, silenced, policed 
and and violated on into so many ways and i imagine i imagine a radical future in which we step away from the fact that we think that there's binaries to contain us our emotions our bodies our expressions our systems and that we really step into this way of observing how nature works that how ecosystems are so entangled, are so complex, are so interdependent. And I like to call these ecologies. No? There's a lot of work, literature, people, organizations, movements doing work around ecologies, black ecologies, indigenous ecologies. I like to see a diverse amount of ecologies in which there's no real need for competition and harm and monocropping. And then lastly, I imagine a radical future that can heal. I think there's deep wounds that so many of us around the world have been carrying due to the colonial violence that our territories, our communities have lived, continue living due to the racism that we see every day due to the utmost violence from governments, fundamentalist governments. And as we've said before in this conversation, I think healing, putting at the center those emotions and real feelings and learning how to heal is to me the most radical thing, knowing that there's a way to heal, that we can really step away from the suffering no? while after transforming it. I would like to see a future that that heals, especially the most marginalized peoples, and a future that can celebrate joy and the existence of humans and non-humans as well. Thank you so much, Maria Alejandra. I want to live in this world like now. <laughs> um, yeah, and what you really were getting at at the beginning, like the importance of healing from colonialism, from capitalism, from all these systems doing away with our ideas of binaries, man, woman, nature, society. It's hard work to do all of that. It's a lifetime and more. So thank you. And I'll pass it on to Sanam. Thank you, Andrea. And thank you, Maria Alejandra. Every day, there's a little piece of something that I'm doing or a message that I'm putting out that fits into the larger composite of the future that I believe in. If I say, you know, no more, uh, have a a pesticides convention to regulate the harmful pesticides, that's because I'm envisioning a world where we can have agroecology, because that really radical feminist future that I like to imagine is the one where we've destroyed the systems of oppression, the patriarchy, the colonialism, the capitalism, And then those symptoms of those systems, like the inequality, the conflict, the destruction of the planet, that has stopped. And that's the future where we've begun the process of healing and then redistributing, rebuilding. I love to think of a world where we can have these incredible social safety nets that makes it possible for everyone to have healthcare and education and not, you know, insufferable learning where you hate school but like interactive and creative and beautiful that integrates our traditions our languages our cultures and to bring back the traditions of smallholder farming and recognizing indigenous communities roles in that of course to grow our food sustainably for a fair wage 
so that our forests, our waterways can recover from these generations of extractivism and pollution, of course. I also, you know, in relation to labor organizing and the worries that some people have about the future of work and digitization, I see a world where formal work is a choice according to our interest and our talent and not a necessity for accessing survival wages or for healthcare. That's that's unjust and that always puts the weakest and most vulnerable communities in, in the worst position. Because in that future that I see in the work that I do, I know that safe, peace and equal societies don't need growth or productivity or these obscene levels of wealth that we're seeing with billionaires profiting off this pandemic and this global level of suffering right now. And in that composition where we have equality, where we've broken up these binaries and, you know, families are people who love each other, who come together. It doesn't matter what gender they identify, how they dress, how they present themselves. And I just want automation to make it easier for people to work less and have more joy and creativity, as Maria Alejandra was describing. Thank you so much, Sanam. And I'll pass it on to Patricia. Thank you, Andrea. I really enjoyed listening to um what Maria Alejandra and Sanam saying, um, oof, you know, talking about the world that we imagine this, we need to be ambitious for this. And I think I really imagine a world where the most marginalized and most oppressed women groups are actually able to seek accountability for every single right violation that they experience, where every indigenous women are able to speak out when their forests are destroyed their natural resources are grabbed. I want to see a world where the free prior and informed consent of indigenous women is obtained, including within their very own community. Radical feminist future for me is a world that gives justice to the people, to the women, to those who are oppressed, where the perpetrators and in this context, the polluters, the main actors who actually cause climate crisis are accountable to the injustice that they cause. We need to name and shame. We need to demand them to be accountable to the massive destruction that brings women into poverty. For me, radical feminist future would be where economies that is actually work for the women and not the women working for the capitalist neoliberal economic system. You said it, like, accountability is key to any sort of transformation, envisioning what that justice will look like. And I'll pass it on to Maggie. I think, just to say, there's so much power in visioning and dreaming and imagining. So much of the speculative fiction out there, whether it's literature or films, have painted this vision of the future that we are now actually living that is so sterile and uh, it's, you know, a, a true dystopia in every sense of the word. And so I think there's a great deal of power in all of us imagining and all of the many communities around the world who are imagining and creating this radical future every single day. So I want to thank everyone for that. Um, and speaking to some of the things that I've heard people saying um, in the communities that we are working with is I would love a future where we can all breathe and where 
no child is born with bronchitis or other sorts of diseases that are affecting their lungs and their capacity to breathe or asthma or whatever it may be. I would love a world where we can all eat, where the people who are responsible for growing our food, we are all participating in that exercise. We are all part of that chain. Our relationship to nature is restored, um, a relationship that capitalism works so hard to destroy. I would love a future where we can be free from violence and violence in all its many, many forms, whether it is physical or sexual or the violence of work. Someone was mentioning earlier, I think it was Sanam, and reimagining what work means. And there's so much violence that we can do to ourselves if we are trapped in this cycle of um, capitalist um, notions of how we use our time, how we use our labor, how we labor. So I would love to be free from that. So I'll leave it at that for now, because I think everyone has spoken really powerfully already. (laughs) Thank you so much, Maggie. You're listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Yeah, like what would it look like if all the relations that violence severed were reconnected? Like what would that look like? So thank you. And I'll pass it to Francis. Yes, I love this vision for the future. Like, I don't know if we'll need passports in the future, but I want to (laughs) go sign me up. So yeah, I I agree with what everyone has said in reference to looking at food systems differently. We talk about organic and regenerative agriculture, uh, agroecology, economies of care, Uh, greening initiatives, green infrastructure. I know here, um, I'm based in New Orleans right now, we talk about um, the need for a just transition for workers in extractive industries, um, which I think is really important because people need training, they need economic development. As an educator, I think climate literacy is really important. I think that unfortunately, we're not always able to have the deep conversations that we should have, or even like communicate across political divides because we're not exposed to the same information. And so, you know, everyone should be exposed to environmental education. I think housing is really important. I grew up in public housing. And so right now we're dealing with people who are getting evicted during disasters, hurricane season. I don't want to see that in a feminist future. And then I think, particularly based on my experience here in the United States, just the need to um, decriminalize folk who are protecting water, decriminalize folk who are activists, because activism is going to, we're going to still need activists in the future. And oftentimes women are environmental activists. Also defunding of police, reallocating those funds to economies of care, and also ensuring that our legal system is able to actually bring about justice. And Finally, uh, rethinking borders. I think in a feminist future, we need to rethink borders because everyone won't have the luxury to stay in the place where their ancestors were born. A lot of these geographies are already disappearing, um, like here in Louisiana and also other coastal areas around the world, island nation states. So making space for people to relocate, migrate safely, and also that they don't have to worry about sterilization or the kidnapping of their children at these camps and the at the borders that currently exist. So defunding police, demilitarizing police, I think is really important for a feminist future. Yes, to abolition. Thank you so much, Francis. 
And I'll pass it to Mara to start wrapping up with the almost last question. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. And I think as Andrea was talking about earlier, like this is not just an exercise in, you know, um, utopian fantasies. It's a critical systems thinking approach, right? It starts with asking ourselves, what kind of world do we want to live in that is peaceful and healthy for all? And how do we get there? And it's hard work. It's hard work, but it's necessary work. So this last question that I'd love to pose to you all, I feel like we've been kind of dancing around this in different ways. You know, in the description for this event, I think the first sentence that we put was like, young feminists, young climate feminists are putting in work. We know that, that young climate feminists are leading uh, the climate justice movement. We know that in the last year, in the last two years in which we've seen these unbelievable global strikes and marches and direct action and communities mobilizing, so often young climate feminists are at the forefront of that, right? But also they're often so invisible in the work of figuring out who to consider the true leaders of these movements and of this change. There's no easier way to see that than the fact that we so very rarely see these gatherings of young climate feminists who are coming together in conversation to talk about the work that they do. But I would love to hopefully consolidate this into a question of, of just asking how it feels for you all to be young climate feminists in this moment. And Francis, I hope you don't hate me for this, but since you've gone last on the last couple, do you want to go first on this one? So yeah, and if I'm honest, I feel like I'm terrified, my heart is broken, I'm exhausted, but also I'm excited because I think that there's new political opportunities that are opening up to see transnational solidarity, to be a part of some of those efforts. I feel hopeful about that, but also I would say it relates to the overall feeling of that this is an, a moment of crisis and opportunity. And so it feels new, it feels a little scary, but it also feels like it's something that is doable if we work in collaboration with one another. Thanks, Francis. I feel the same way. So maybe I'll pass it next to Maggie. I think I came into this call feeling very heavy, um, mainly because there's a community in Mozambique called Cabo Delgado, um, where people are experiencing intense amounts of violence from state forces and collusion with the mining companies that are operating there. And so today has been a very heavy day. But communing with all of you and having the space to sort of talk and share and to hear what everyone else is dreaming and imagining and doing um, has been really inspiring. And I think, like Francis said, I leave this space with a sense of hope. I feel a little bit of hope <laughs> and optimism that yeah, the people in this room and the many communities that we are connected to, that we can shift this. And it will be hard work, but it's possible. So, yeah. Thanks, Maggie. So next I'll just pass to Sanam. You know, being part of movements for justice at a time of climate crisis can feel like the weight of the world is on you, but frustratingly, none of the power. But, you know, the saying is, if not us, who? If not now, when? And I also want to acknowledge this beautiful question in the chat about 
old feminists and intergenerational collaboration around climate. And I think that's so important. And I, I personally, you know, it's not just about climate, but broadly in social justice movements, intergenerational collaboration is so important because we stand on the shoulders of the fighters who came before us. I'm just thinking of, you know, all of the crazy activism that environmentalists did in the 80s and uh, early 90s to sound the alarm about what was happening. You know, that was the time to already have a feminist Green New Deal, to already have a climate change action plan. So, you know, every time that, that, that I envision a future, it's because of the ideas that I've learned from before. And that's, I think, important to being a young climate feminist, learning from the leaders that have come before. Even some of my ideas come from the anarchists who were worried about steam engines and encouraged walking everywhere because of the pollution that steam engines cause. See, like they knew that coal was going to be a problem a long time ago. And honestly, nothing changes as quickly as it should. And that's why we've been active on this issue for generations. People in power don't take this danger seriously or they're profiting off it. So I can be filled with anger. I can be filled with ideas like no borders, as we've said, um, just an equitable transition at the same time as calling for dismantling all fossil fuel companies and sending their offices you've reached your expiry date message. Or I can be filled with deep sadness and despair when I learn the consequences for Rio Tinto destroying a 46,000-year-old Aboriginal site. The, the consequence there is to cancel the bonuses of a few executives. All of these things are really, really so frustrating, but you know we have to keep going and we have to keep learning. Thanks, Anam. Patricia, can I pass to you? I guess as a young climate feminist, as an indigenous, um, I see myself as part of not only climate justice, indigenous or feminist movements, but also as a part of larger, larger social movements. And for me, it is very important because I believe that we all have common struggles to challenge the current neoliberal economic and development system that destroy the environment and deprive us women of our human rights. I think in this collective struggle, it is crucial, it is, it is crucial to also recognize how our elders have paved the way for us, all the wins, all the achievements, the mountain that we are, we as young climate feminists are standing on right now and see things even clearer you know, shape also our struggles and navigate the way how we are going, learning actually from the experiences that they have been, have been, have been learning from. I guess like we carry the torch of struggle they passed to us. The responsibility is enormous. <laughs> and I really do believe that this struggle, in this struggle together, in this collective struggle, we can never stop learning from our elders. It is also crucial and very important to recognize young women in all our diversities and also different layers of how climate crisis is actually affecting us. Only with this, I believe that we can strengthen our solidarity and movements to challenge the current oppressive and growth-focused market-driven development and economic system. All right, and now Maria Alejandra, bring us home. What are you thinking about? What are you feeling? I also want to refer to that piece of 
acknowledging where we come from and all those generations and all that wisdom that has been constructed and built over years, generations, struggles. And how is it that we're reclaiming the memory of our past generations to become better, no? to become more inclusive, to become more diverse, to learn from the past. I think we, as young climate feminists, are lying in a difficult moment. Like there's multiple crises unfolding at the same time. All of them seem urgent, emergent, complex. So I think there's a huge space for us to imagine how is it that we can face all these multiple crises without losing our own selves with caring for our own body's health, but also the health and the stability and the harmony of our families, communities, territories. Technology is so much a tool, but also a risky thing. I think we have a huge challenge of, ha of, of relating to this modern technological digital world and learn how to be better hackers in every possible sense. How is it that we hack the capitalist system? How is it that we hack industrialism? How is it that we hack the rational development model setting of the world uh, while at the same time keeping safe, right? I am, uh, the reality is that there's a lot of us, social environmental leaders being harassed, being disappeared, being silenced everywhere, every day. And how is it that we can do the work? How is it that we keep hacking while at the same time knowing that this doesn't need to necessarily be a sacrifice? Thank you, Maria Alejandra. I can't imagine a more powerful way to end. Um, and I just want to bring in three of the most powerful words that I think I could bring in from someone who leads much of this envisioning work for so many of us. And that's Miriam Kaba, who's an abolitionist. And she tells us and has taught us that hope is a discipline. We have to work at it, build it, get stronger, make mistakes, learn and continue practicing it. And I think that that is part of our work moving forward as well. And that is part of um, what young climate feminists do so well. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. And today on the show, we heard part two of a two-part show, Envisioning Radical Futures with Young Intersectional Climate Feminists. And the audio that you heard today was sourced with thanks from a Climate Week 2020 webinar by the global advocacy organisation, We Do. And you can find them at wedo.org. You can also find today's podcast with information about the moderators and all of the speakers on today's show and links at 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters. And if you're already listening via a podcasting service, we'd love you to subscribe. And why not rate us and give us a review to help spread the word? Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous support and the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in getting this show out to you. Earth Matters is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Fitzroy Nam, and we can be contacted at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. And you can also find us on your socials. So that's all for today, but don't forget to tune in next week for more environmental and social justice stories.
Genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. It's one thing white fellas learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. Genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune in to Fire First every Wednesday from 11am till 12 midday on 3CR with Robbie Thorpe. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.